We need men with moral courage to speak and write their real thoughts and to stand by their convictions. Robert Green Ingersoll Hey everybody, welcome to episode 7 of Emetophobia Health. I'm Anna Christie, recovered emetophobic, licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia, and your host for this podcast. Today we're going to be talking about men with emetophobia with my guest Andy Bone, who's from the UK. Trigger warnings. There are a few this week. Uh, the words vomit and sick are used sometimes. Um, Andy tells the story of an illness he had as a child that lasted quite some time. Um, he refers to the N virus, just like that, just, just the letter N and the D word with just the letter D. Of course, no details are given, um, but the, the episode as a whole could trigger some people a little more than previous ones. But you know my advice, just listen to it, um, slow your breathing down and it it will help you. Okay, here we go. So I'm here with Andy Bone from the UK. How are you doing, Andy? Yeah, I'm good. Had a long day, but um, yeah, I'm good. Right, and it's morning where I am, so how about that? Yeah, you can have a glass of wine, but I'd better not, right? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to. <laughs> so we're here today. Um, Andy has very graciously um, volunteered to talk about emetophobia and being a man because um, there aren't as many men as women who have emetophobia um, are people who fear vomiting about 6% of women and 1% of men. Um, but still in the United States alone, that would be 3.3 million men, you know, so if you look at it that way um, in the UK, about 333,000 men are afraid of vomiting. So um, if you feel alone, you just haven't found them yet, right? So can we start out, Andy, could you just tell us a bit about your background? Like as a child growing up, what was it like for you and when did you first start to notice the phobia? Okay, so uh, this was quite difficult to me to... Um, talk to you about it because I had to talk to my partner about this first because part of me didn't want to go into the past of when it actually happened. Uh, so I was about 11 years old, maybe 12, went to what we call in the UK a holiday camp where you all live in these like chalets and you share uh, facilities such as swimming pool, uh, washrooms, stuff like that. Um, on the last day, uh, I remember waking up feeling, well, I suppose it was nauseous, but I wasn't really old enough to work out what that was. Um, within 20 minutes, I, I got sick or I vomited. Um, didn't really, wasn't really, didn't seem to be overly worried about it. It was, it was going home day that day anyway. Um, uh, my brother, um, who we were quite close, uh, who, who we are, we were quite close with, i.e. we shared the same bedroom um, and stuff like that. Um, he also got sick about two hours later and got home and um, 
uh, got into this pattern where I felt better and I ate something or drank something and then I was sick again. Um, so I'd lie down for most of the day and not eat for the rest of the day. The next day, get up, feel a little bit better, eat something, got sick again. Um, and this kind of went on for probably uh, eight or nine days. Um, as soon as I felt better, I ate something and I felt nauseous. Um, I didn't have bad stomach cramps, didn't have any of the other, uh, the D word, didn't have any of that. Um but it just seemed to go on forever, and I got kind of scared of eating food because I associate it with being sick. Um, and I had probably a week, maybe a week and a half off of school um, because of this. Mm. And if I felt uh, if I felt nauseous, my parents told me to go to the bathroom, and I would stand there feeling nauseous with all the uh, the symptoms of going to be sick, and then eventually I was sick. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, eventually got over it my parents were really worried because I stopped eating um, uh, I would take very little fluids um, my brother got over it quicker than I did um, probably within three three to four days um, and that was that was kind of it that was just this association of eating and then feeling uh, nauseous and then being sick within uh, at least six hours, um, sometimes 10 hours, sometimes 12. Um, but it went. Uh, and then I remember going back to school uh, and we had a school trip planned to go to some farm or something. And uh, because my uh, father run the local school bus service, um, <laughs> they got the job to take us there. And I remember sitting on the bus going to the, thinking, Oh my God! Uh, um, people, you can get travel sick, um, and I got on the bus and I went into a complete and utter panic. And oh, no. bearing in mind, bearing in mind that I was pretty much born on a bus, you know, I, I, uh, we've operated school buses and coaches for over uh, seventy years now. Um, wow! Uh, the, the panic ceased uh, as soon as we got down, got a hundred yards down the road, and it ceased and on reflection, that's probably the end of it. Um, I still, uh, if bugs went around the family or around the workplace, because our family business is in the workplace, um, I would avoid people as much as I could in so much as if a family member got ill, whatever it was, I would uh, eat uh, in a separate room. I would distance myself um, and more than what they call socially distancing at the moment. Um, but it, it wasn't really prevalent. What actually brought it home to me uh, was um, moving forward at least uh, met very many years, at least uh, 25 years when uh, I got married a second time and I had children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was never, didn't have any uh, visions of being a parent, but I became one. Um, and I'm now what you call a doting father, apart from the fact they're 21 and 19 now. Yeah. So kids, kids get sick, okay. don't they? they yes, they do. Okay, yeah. and you love your kids, um, and uh, when they get sick, they got sick and they got bugs, um, I wanted so much to tend to my loved ones, mm. but I couldn't because I was scared that that would pass it on to me. Right. Um, 
that was when it, it kind of smacked me in the face as to uh, I, I, I had a problem. In the, tw- in the, the period between that, um, I spent many years um, as a scuba diver and a scuba diving instructor, taking people out on boats who got seasick. Um, uh-huh. Never worried me um, because uh, from my point of view as an instructor, it was better they were ill on top of the water rather than under. And I'm sorry if that's too much information for some people, but that's the way I had to deal with it as, as a professional. Right. Um, and part of me thinks it's kind of payback for thinking, huh, you, not me. Um, <laughs> I, I yeah. never, I've never right. been seasick once in my life. I've spent a lot of time, I've spent as much time on the water and under it as I have underneath cars and driving buses. Um, so going back to with, with my children, um, it was becoming uh not an obsession but if one of them are ill and this is a curious part because if they were ill it was me who insisted on uh clearing up for want of a better word right okay i was gloved up masked up bleached everywhere but it was me that did it because that in my world that was the only way i could be sure that it was dealt with okay right that's very common yes came to a point uh, where I realized there was a problem and um, it was getting to the stage where food was being thrown away inside of itself by date. Uh, I was doing odd things at barbecues, like insisting on cooking. Um, and the, probably the worst thing where my second wife said, you need to do something about this, was when it started to affect my job. Okay, so um, everybody's heard about that dreaded virus that begins with N. Um, and that's my biggest fear ever. Oh. Biggest, biggest fear. Okay. Um, and uh, part of my job is driving a school bus. Wow. Well, right. I, ha- so, I have, yeah, you, I have to say you're probably the most courageous person that I've talked to in a long, long time. I mean, I know how scary this phobia is. Um, it's no different for men or women as far as how terrifying it is. And yeah. to go out on boats and take other people out on boats and to drive a school bus and even to get married a couple of times, sounds like. Oh, and, a couple of times, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and have some children and really want to care for them. I mean, you're very, very courageous. Yeah, absolutely. So, um when it came to the stage driving a school bus in the winter when that horrible virus beginning with then was prevalent so what i would do at the first bus stop i'd open the door i'd take a big breath in i'd hold my breath until all the students got on and then i'd breathe out through the window and hand a big breath in through the open side window and that's the only way i thought i could deal with it yeah. um wow. if custom if customers uh, or clients bought their cars to me for repair which is what I also do and they say sorry I didn't come yesterday because I was sick they basically get an interview as to what their symptoms were before I look at their car right okay so it was becoming a big problem so I uh, saw a therapist who I won't say he took the edge off of it but he kind of talked me through it but unfortunately there's I had this valid argument for every part of my phobia. I'm sure fellow sufferers do have a valid argument. 
for example, if you're scared of spiders, don't go near spiders. Simple. If you're scared <laughs> of heights, don't stand on the cliff. And for anybody out there who is going to hear this, um, I've done some scary stuff in my time. I've uh, done scuba diving. I've done deep air scuba diving. I've done deep cave scuba diving. Wow. Um, yeah. After that, um, I went on to quad bike racing or ATV racing at national and international level. Never scared me. Neither yeah. of those things scared me, but this does. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's where I that's where I can't deal with it. Why why am I scared of this? Yeah. Why can I do this such stuff? You know, uh, I, I worked at a dive centre in Spain. I had uh, 10 people under me who I was in charge of. And when problems happen, which they do, I always dealt with it. Ca- mm-hmm. Calm, cool, no problem. That's what I was trained mm-hmm. to do. But then when the uh, the girl I was out there got sick, um, very sick, uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I was completely disinfecting the flat we were living in. I mean, from head to toe. Because Yeah. So it was there then. But going back to the here and now, um, with my children, who I'm really thankful that I haven't passed on to, because they are aware of my phobia and my current partner and lots of my close friends. um, They are aware of it. And my my partner works at an infant school. And guess what happens a lot in infant school? (laughs) So he tells me what I need to know and what I don't need to know. And... How can I say I cope with it? Uh, some days it's tougher than others. Um, uh, some days uh, it's almost unbearable. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when I got into the ATV racing and the quad bike racing, um, I did that because, you know what, I, I became empty-headed because I was too busy hanging on to think about anything. Um, right. And actually, that was kind, in in my way of thinking, well, if I don't have to think about it for an hour and a half, that's good. Wow. Uh, so I let, you, I let you speak in a minute, I promise. Um, no, that's fine. So <laughs> m- moving on to the quad bike racing uh, five years ago, I had quite a horrible accident. Oh. Um, I dislocate my right leg, but it didn't just pop out. It broke its way out through the back of my pelvis. Wow! Uh, smashed it. Um, so I've now got a, a, a titanium plate and seven pins holding my pelvis together. So at that point when it happened, I realised I was in for the long haul with hospitals and drugs and morphine and gas and air. And at the finish of it, I had a, a seven-hour procedure to put it right. Um, and I tried to convince the surgeon to do it via epidural so I didn't have to have a general anaesthetic. Right. A lot, a lot yeah. of people know yeah. what happens with general anaesthetic. It can, um, yeah. can It can. Okay, mm-hmm. so my experience to everybody, um, I explain my fears both to the anaesthetist um, and the uh, surgeon, and they said, don't worry, we'll look after you. Now we know we'll look after you. Um, and I was pumped full of whatnot. Who knows what I was pumped full of in, in the three procedures I went through to have this done. I asked for an anti-emitic and it worked fine. When I came round after the seven hour op, an hour later, I said, can I have something to eat, please? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So for anybody that's listening, it's not always okay. You just right. you ex- you explain your fears. I'll shut yeah, up exactly. now. Okay. No, no, no. I, I, you're a very interesting person. Um, I've also I had a 14 hour surgery. Not to not that this is a contest. <laughs> But, uh, and I, I also asked for, a, you know, some cocktail of antiemetics and they gave them to me and I did not vomit. And I've had shorter surgeries and, you know, yeah, it, I mean, the medical science is wonderful now. And I just wrote a blog actually on Friday about mm-hmm. chemo- chemotherapy, which I also went through and didn't vomit and had, and, you know, they had great antiemetics. So, for all yeah. the people listening who are really scared of a lot of medical procedures, a lot of it, I think, is shame. Like we're, we feel ashamed to tell the medical people about the mm-hmm. extent of our fear. But yeah. most of the time, they're very open to it. They're like, oh, okay, no problem. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's good. I, I mean, I remember when I was lying on the, the ground in the middle of nowhere and the helicopter was landing because they couldn't move me. And the, the medic uh, got out of the helicopter and he said, uh, okay, so ask about other medical conditions because uh, one of the discs in my back is completely uh, worn out, um, which I'm sort of putting off the day where I have it taken out. Um, mm-hmm. And I said, uh, he said, you need some morphine. Sir. And I said, yeah, I know, but I know what morphine does to me. And he said, why? So I explained to him in between mm-hmm. shouting and, the tears and all the rest of it. He right. said, fine, it's not a problem. He said, we'll deal with it. He said, so he, he gave me an antiemetic first and then he pumped me up for the morphine. And right. when I got to the hospital, um, he said, do you want some more morphine? I said, no, because that make me that make, that make me nauseous. He said, no, don't worry, you've had enough. That will see you 48 hours. And he was mm-hmm. right. Yeah. He was exactly right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, to everybody, it's not always Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Wow. Um, I think that, you know, just a thank you, first of all, for agreeing to come on and talk. Um, a lot of people are ashamed. They feel silly having this phobia. You know, when I was listening to you before talking about, like, after I said how courageous you were then, you went on to say even more uh, very courageous things that you do and have done. And you're not afraid of them, the scuba diving and, and the racing and whatnot. But it's the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that this and all phobias are a wiring problem in the brain. And the, the trigger uh, thing, like feeling nauseous or having a sick person around you or whatever, goes in, into your mind and it goes straight to the part of your brain that tells you you're going to die any second. Uh, it doesn't do that for the other things that you described. Like it would for me, like I'm not going underwater. I don't, you know, I'll put my head under to swim properly, but that's it. Um, but for you and many people, you know, those are, those are aspects of your character. You know, that's part of who you are as a person. You're strong, uh-huh. courageous, you're a manly man, I would say. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, just from just from uh, everything you've described, and but this is a different part of the brain. It's not your personality. It's not your character. It's it's just a different thing altogether, and okay. it is very difficult to deal with. But um, uh, I was uh, 
saying that I think it's harder for men because there's only 1% of men that have it. And it seems like it's mainly women, but 1% of men, like I said, you know, that's a lot USA that 16.5 million men, you know, so um, there's certainly a lot of men suffer from it. Um, but I mean, the good thing, it's not good. It's just a thing. <laughs> Is that like addiction, for example, you're not an addict of any kind. Is that right? No, not really. You're not an addict. So um, a lot more men are addicts, you know, drug or alcohol addiction than Uh women. So, you know, which would you rather have? I mean, they're both awful. They're both terrible. Uh, Phobia, uh, drug addiction or substance addiction is is bad. Depression, I mean, you know, there's only half as many men as women have suffered depression, about 41 million women in the United States. Um, uh, not, you're British, I'm Canadian, but a lot of our mm-hmm. listeners are American. So that's why I use their numbers. 41 million uh-huh. women suffer from depression, only 20 million men. Uh, so it's about half as many. Um, but with the metaphobia, it's even a smaller number of men. I, I personally think um, that the strength um, is in admit, admitting you have a problem uh, in the first instance, because the more I talk to people close to me about it, the better it is. Uh, I'm also uh, being treated for mild depression. Um, I've been on um, antidepressants for two to three years now. That's n- not... <clears throat> Uh, because the emetophobia uh, in the first instance, because uh, life's kind of tough um, right. for me um, for family issues um, and stuff like that. But it, the first step uh, to any guys out there who, 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 who might hear this podcast is you got the strength is not trying to be a man and cope with it and um, uh, keep your head high. The, the strength is being strong enough to admit it. Right. I think. Yeah, and then right. once you admit it, the help is always there. Yeah. Um, and f- true friends um, are very, very, very supportive. Yeah. Um, I I came across the whole uh, uh, metaphobia site on Facebook. Just uh, a friend of a friend of a friend uh, <laughs> put something about a, a, a number of cases of a, of a bug going around a single school. And somebody that I know mentioned it. Um, And somebody, I think you call them a troll. They're people that go through Facebook looking for an argument. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah. Called um, uh, a metaphobia, a yuppie disease. So for the the listeners who don't understand (laughs) what a yuppie is, um, it's a trendy disease. Mm -hmm. This this troll kind of labeled it as, oh, this is the latest thing to say you have. Well, Andy just jumped in with both barrels because... I believed uh, that I was uh, defending people um, who generally have this problem like myself. And uh, what happened was a lady um, in America somewhere, I can't remember when, she she friended me. And next thing I know, she's put me in touch with these websites. And this is why I'm talking to you today. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, there you go. See? <laughs> there you um, go. Yeah. It's really great. And last uh, podcast, uh, I talked with a woman about the pros and cons of those sorts of support 
support groups. That's exactly what we were saying. It's so great to, you know, find other people that have the same thing and, and so yeah. on. Well, yeah. I'm, uh, we've had our share of technical problems, but we've made it through. I have a, a little bit of editing that. ahead of me this time um, <laughs> to try to get all <laughs> these attached to one another. But I'm so okay. thrilled that you volunteered to come on. I know that a lot of men um, we've had so far, um, about 1,500 downloads of the podcast, which is uh -huh. just amazing. So uh, I think it's fantastic with such a small niche kind of market, you know. Um, yeah. So I'm sure there will be men listening. And I actually, when I was working with children, had a, as a lot of little boys, almost as many boys as girls. So I think it's it might end up being a little more balanced, unfortunately, as yeah. time goes on. So thank you very much, Andy. Take okay, care. Can and I, I say will... one thing before you yeah, go? Sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Right. I really and truly believe that it helps to help. It it does. You... You're right. Okay. Yeah. Can I leave you with that thought then, Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, first of all, a big thank you to everyone who's listening and, of course, to my guest, Andy Bone. Um, there are some costs associated with this podcast. If you find it helpful, then I'd love it if you donate. You can just go to my website at www.emetophobiahelp.org and scroll down to the bottom of the homepage to donate. But also my website has a ton of information for emetophobics and all the resources you need as a therapist to treat emetophobia with traditional CBT. So that's emetophobiahelp.org or just Google emetophobia help. Next week, I will be talking with Dr. Donna Roscoe, uh, who's from San Diego. She's a psychologist and a recovered emetophobic who, like me, now treats emetophobia. So I'll see you then. <laughs>